0: Not a matter of if, but when, a crisis could turn your world upside down. I'm Rashini Rajkumar, crisis strategist, licensed attorney, and host of The Crisis Files. In each case file, we explore a real crisis or a ripped-from-the-headlines controversy. My Crisis Squad and I are here to find solutions. They also bring in newsmakers with key insights on our selected crisis. Our suggestions are meant to empower you to handle your own crisis or prevent crises from happening. We do not provide legal, financial, medical, or PR advice for particular situations, but strongly recommend you seek out professionals to help your specific need. A serious topic today, but one that appears to have a silver lining. Brad Madsen joins me. He is former head of community affairs for the Minnesota Vikings. One of the worst days during Brad's 26-year tenure with the Vikings, the tragic death of Corey Stringer in August 2001 at the age of 27. Reports said the offensive tackle died from complications of heat stroke during training camp. Jump ahead to January 2nd, 2023. Many of us saw the collapse of Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin during a game against the Bengals. We're here to talk about how far the NFL has come while we keep watch over DeMar's continuing recovery in the case file I call DeMar Strong. Brad, I'm so glad you're here because you have such unique insight. Take us back to that terrible time in August 2001.
1: Well, it was shocking. Nobody expects that within the first week of training camp. And Corey's is such a beloved guy, great sense of humor. And he was a stud. He was a first round draft pick in 1995 and just coming off his first Pro Bowl. And uh, he was ready to go. A normal practice and then um, get a call that he uh that, that he had passed, and we are going to do a press conference. And so what shape was that going to take? So um, seeing DeMar collapse I, took me back. With Corey passing, there was a huge outreach from fans and community leaders, and we collected $20,000 towards his Corey's Crew campaign, which promoted literacy and 20,000, that was a big, big check. Big
0: check. And this was at a time which was very pre GoFundMe pages.
1: Exactly. I Googled that. It was uh, 2001, Corey passed. 2010 is when GoFundMe started. I mean, I just wonder, uh, you know, DeMar's over 8 million, I believe. So I think everybody felt so helpless. You know, you want to do something, fans want to do something. And that's the brotherhood of the NFL too with players because they play a violent game. Let's put it this way. What sport do you play where at the end of the game when you're shaking hands, you you say to your opponent, hey, stay healthy? You know, it's usually good match, good game, you know, good luck. But no, stay healthy. So that's really so unique as far as the sport goes. So I think that was part of the outreach. And when Corey passed, people came out of the woodwork that you wouldn't expect. Kurt Warner, Hall of Fame quarterback, he had a foundation. There are people reached out to me and offered to buy Corey's casket, which you know, nice gesture, kind of weird, but uh, But nice. Still, I mean, it's like at this point, you're in
0: a loss. This brotherhood. What do you do? This guy that you played against, your opponent, but still a friend. In your case, running community affairs, working with the rest of the PR team, you can't just sit there and grieve his death. You have to whip into action and kind of help the rest of us out there.
1: Right. Well, that was uh, about six months before Corey passed. The Timberwolves had a tragic accident with Malik Seeley, who was killed in a car wreck. And I watched the news and the coverage of that. And it was his teammates' saying what a great guy was. Coaches were saying what a great guy was. But of course, that's what they're going to say. When Corey passed, I knew that I had worked with the media with my community outreach programs asking, we're going to visit the children's hospital. Can you come out and cover that with players? The way the press conference was set up, was kind of interesting. We had two PR guys, three medical guys, two executives, and coach Dennis Green, who was my mentor. Of the Vikings. Yes, head coach at that time, amazing man. He's the, uh, the Bears are who we thought they were. We get in there, the executives are going, okay, what are we going to do? Okay, who's from the medical staff is going to speak? Well, the three guys from the medical staff point the fingers at each other, like, uh, I think you should do it because nobody, w- <laughs> nobody wants to be up at the podium After and Corey the medic- that, that a player had passed. So Danny, with his great leadership, just said, you know, that medical stuff, that'll take care of itself. But today the message is we lost a brother. That was the tone we took in the press conference. And what I did, having seen just the teammates and coaches speak about Malik, I wanted to give Corey more of a legacy. So I called his teachers, who he worked with at Bancroft Elementary, which is a school located just a few blocks from George Floyd Square, and got them on board. I said, hey, I'm going to give you a phone number. I'm going to this press conference. I'm going to give your phone numbers out to all the reporters and I'll keep it posted who's interested in all that. And then he also had a program with literacy with the St. Paul Public Libraries, spoke to them. The coordinator there had a son that was 12-year-old youth football player. And Corey always talked to Josh about his game and all that. In the paper, all the outreach was of Corey demonstrating it's just not teammates and coaches saying is great. Guy. It's third party. I really felt that I earned my keep that week because I think we gave him a good send-off, and to this day, everybody knows what a great man he was.
0: Kudos to you and his memory and wanting that memory and having the foresight, having the leadership to do something like that. He was also a trailblazer without ever knowing it Hmm. because ever since he did pass, The NFL, the medical teams take heat a lot more seriously. And we've seen, at least in my past life as a TV reporter and also current life just watching the NFL, the whole head injury and concussion Mm -hmm. pieces have grown. But it's almost like back in Corey's time, none of that was really common discussion.
1: 100%. And later in the camp, then we had huge umbrellas and water breaks it changed everything. That same camp. It was a crazy time, but the NFL adjusted, just like with the concussion protocol. And I oversaw the youth football too. And the new technique of tackling was called heads up football. So you don't lead with your head down, you keep your head up. I remember when then that was brought into the NFL level and people were aghast saying, oh, are they going to play the game? And I remember the great Alan Page saying, Players are going to adjust because if you don't adjust, you're going to get fired and they'll find somebody else who can play by the rules. And
0: why don't we adjust? Because then maybe we won't get injured and possibly die. Right. I mean, there are a lot of things, right? So we've seen so much. And one of the things I wanted to talk about with you, Brad, is, A, time is really of the essence. And when we look at the DeMar-Hemlin situation— That medical team was on the field right away. In fact, several of them are getting such praise for how they resuscitated him when seconds matter.
1: Oh, totally. It's one thing to be a certified athletic trainer, but how are you going to respond when the lights are on, when it's go time? And those guys were amazing. I remember um, Eric Sugarman at the Vikings, our head athletic trainer, when E.J. Henderson had his catastrophic injury where his femur was snapped during a game. And they acted right away, got him to a hospital down there, essentially saved his career, and through their training of him, got him back the next season, and he made the Pro Bowl. Same thing with Adrian Peterson, three tears in his knee, and the athletic trainers got him back to another superstar level. To be a trainer in the NFL, you're the best of the best.
0: Right. And that also just with regular people, time is of the essence. If someone collapses like that, it is so important that good CPR is administered as quickly as possible. The reaction from not only the NFL, I mean, that has been incredible with all these teams. And in this past weekend's games, the first official games after the January 2nd collapse, uh, everyone wearing the number three Mm. on their jerseys, so many teams just calling out to him and the Bills having a great win and a great start to that game. But the reaction, not only from other football teams, but really from the country. I mean, I was finding myself tweeting nearly every day, giving an update about tomorrow, commenting on something. I retweeted his post that he did on Sunday while he was watching the game. I mean, this also seems like this collapse brought the country together, at least anyone who follows football.
1: Well, we saw it. It was shocking. You could just see Stefan Diggs, who played for the Minnesota Vikings. Now was in tears. And these guys have seen guys get stingers and injuries. But this, you knew that, oh, man, this, this looks bad. So when I'd go to games before kickoff and guys are warming up, I'd go to the other side. And I usually knew two or three guys on that team. So there's a lot of movement of players. I mean, we know the superstars stay put with the big contracts, but there's... 50 guys that are fighting for jobs. And when I'd say we got Greg Beekert back in the day, a great linebacker from the Raiders, I treated it like 3M or Apple. You know, Greg got transferred in from the Raiders to the Vikings, or we had injury with Teddy Bridgewater, and we traded in for Sam Bradford. Well, Sam Bradford got transferred in from the Philadelphia office to Minnesota. I think, again, that's what leads that sport to such a brotherhood, and, and everybody just, it could be them. It didn't look that bad of a hit. And to see that happen, it's like, wow.
0: And another thing that I was really pleased about was to see the game was not played, that night. Now, I do think the NFL should have called that a little sooner, but both personally people have expressed to me as well as on social media, I've seen people question why didn't the game go on. What are your yeah. thoughts about that as a former leader uh, for the Minnesota Vikings?
1: I don't think the players would have done it. I think you, you can say, How let's you have the game be, go on, right. but the players are going, uh-uh, we're not going out there. How can you expect us to play? So I agree with you. There was some controversy. And then there were also some concerns if they canceled the game right away, then the flow of the crowd getting out of there would have just been a jam. They kind of delayed it a little bit like that, too, so to let the people Partly for security out, yeah, and safety exactly. reasons for everyone there. Right.
0: What about just they're not replaying that game? What are your thoughts? Yeah.
1: Well, I think the teams that are in the playoffs, the key is, as we say, uh, you know, to get into the tournament. Wherever they play, they're in the playoffs. Home or away, home games help, but stranger things happen. So I think it was the right decision.
0: Yeah. I have a cousin who's in the front office with the Bills, and we were texting that evening. We've been checking on him because, you know, wow. I mean, just he's in that role, one of those roles like you were in where you've got to keep it together so -hmm. that everyone else can keep it together. So my brother and I have been checking on our cousin's mental health, too. But thank God nothing like that happened again on your team Mm -hmm. during your time there. Mm -hmm. But that's got to be just something that changes you.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, I still think, Corey, often— it was draining. It was exhausting, and you wanted to make him proud from above. I remember calling the hotel, and his mom answered the phone. Here she is. She's going to be burying her son. It's not supposed to happen that way. And Kelsey, his wife, great lady, had a little boy, Cody. You know, stayed in touch with them. They're just great people. In fact, uh, I got <laughs> I got tickets to a uh, little bow wow <laughs> when he was. Came to Minneapolis and got Cody and Kelsey and his mom to uh, get a VIP meet and greet with Lil Bow Wow before and get the photo taken, which of course I inserted myself in that photo too. You got (laughs) to have that community guy and relations guy reap a little of those benefits too. (laughs) Of
0: course. Well, that is very fun to hear about. Well, the good news as we talk today on January 9th, 2023, one week after the collapse of Damar Hamlin, he is doing well expected to be released from the hospital this week, so maybe by the time our listeners hear this, he'll even be out of the hospital, which is so great, so amazing. Also a testament to the 24-year-old Damar and his physical strength. I don't think, no matter how good the CPR is, if you are not an amazing specimen of a human being in great health, yeah. I would think it's even more difficult to have this recovery that Damar has had.
1: 100%. Yep. World-class athlete, I've got one more story as far as um, Corey and the brotherhood and just the teammates. There was a player on our team named Lemansky Hall, and he was a linebacker. His locker was next to Corey Stringer's. So we were doing a school visit and taking questions from the kids when the students said, you know, what's it like to have a player die? And Lemansky uh, said, well, Corey's locker was next to mine. And if you think of an NFL locker room and you think of your health club, at the time at the Vikings when a park facility was pretty crowded not that big after practice you'd go in there it'd be like a hurricane had come through tape athletic tape short socks flip-flops all over the place we called the front of our locker our yard it's just their little space little three by three space in front of them but it was their territory that's their office basically so you'd say something like uh, hey uh lemansky your flip-flops in my yard move it Lemansky said, I told the team after Corey passed, because we kept his locker open with his nameplate, he goes, I know it gets crazy after practice, but we got to be respectful and keep Corey's yard clean. I thought, wow, that's something else. So the next day at, after practice, they usually have a meeting right after practice. So." Chaos everywhere, stuff strewn all over. And I checked it out, and sure enough, right in front of Corey's locker, it was clean. So that that was something else, a memory I'll always have.
0: Yeah, well, it's wonderful just going inside with you, because even though we're now more than 22 years since Corey's passing, I mean, it's still clear how much he meant to you. And it gives us insight into where the game is, reaction, the brotherhood among the players Mm -hmm. and the staffs. I appreciate that insight a lot, Brad.
1: Well, well, thanks. I just, to your listeners, I say, next time a tragedy hits, kind of see how it's handled as far as media go. Is it just teammates talking about him or... Are there other testimonies from third parties? That's what I always kind of watch to see how that's handled.
0: And now with social media, our listeners, if they are a fan or if they are following a team, they can share that on social. And good PR people at the teams would hopefully share those messages. Yep. Well, thanks so much, Brad Madsen. He, by the way, is a former University of Minnesota tennis player, still an avid player uh, of the game. So always appreciate his insight when we have conversations off air and we'll definitely have you back.
1: Thanks, Rashini.
0: This crisis brief brought to you by Spoke 612 Productions. Number one, identify authentic parts of your brand to guide any narrative. Number two, learn from the crisis. Can you adjust to prevent future disasters or future tragedies? Number three, make sure you keep internal and external stakeholders in mind when messaging. Spoke 612 Productions takes your ideas and brings them to life. Linda, Sarah, and Matt are committed to excellence and inclusivity. As a WeBank-certified women-owned production company, Spoke 612 inspires awareness and delivers impact through storytelling. When you put your project in their hands, Spoke 612 draws on their own talents and experience to ensure they tell the best possible version of your story. Visit their portfolio at Spoke612.com. Thank you to my podcast co-producers, Tom Hamilton of Undertone Music and Kim Inslee. Catch up on all our case files. Go to thecrisisfiles.com for our archive, plus some special videos. Subscribe to our YouTube page on thecrisisfiles.com. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at The Crisis Files. I'm Rashini Rajkumar. Join me next time on The Crisis Files.